0: Two sixty-two CP Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: Look, you know what? There are many people who would admit that they're sinners, but they don't really care. It's no big deal. And their attitude is, you know what? I know I'm not perfect. You're not perfect either. So big deal. We're all in the same boat together. And it's that attitude that will lead a person to hell because they don't realize how serious it is to be a sinner. So what do we do with that?
0: Hebrews 10.31 says that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That quote falls in the midst of a description of the choice we all face, Christ or judgment, Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're well on our way through a study of reconciliation from Chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. God has given us an assignment as His ambassadors, the ministry of reconciliation, which we perform by sharing our faith. Let's get started with today's class because Pastor Steve has lots of information that will help us do just that.
1: The good news is the Apostle Paul is going to help us this morning because As Paul speaks about the ministry of reconciliation, he speaks about several elements about the message of reconciliation. He tells us not only have we been commissioned to preach Christ, but he's actually, in this passage, going to tell us what it is we're supposed to say. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look this morning and next week at three elements about the message of reconciliation. That is, three important truths that make up the gospel message. We'll look at two this week, one next week. Get this right, and you have told people how to be reconciled to God. And I would encourage you to write this down because you're, you're not going to remember it. Just write down the major points. Get this wrong or distort the message, and you will mislead people and misrepresent God. And there is nothing worse than that. So let's begin by looking at verse 19. We're going to look at the first element about the message of reconciliation. is this: it's content. It's content. What is it that, that we actually say? What is the gospel? Paul writes in verse 19, namely, or as the King James says, to wit. You ever wonder what to wit means? It means namely, or by clarification, that's what to wit means. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, having just closed verse 18 by stating that God has given us this ministry of reconciliation, Paul now defines it. He explains it. He clarifies it in terms of the content of of this message. That's what it means. Namely, here's what I'm talking about. It's a statement of clarification. And the heart of the message that we proclaim to a lost world is that God has provided a way for mankind to be reconciled to him through the cross, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. The purpose of Christ's death was to be a substitutionary payment For our sins so that God would, in the words of Paul, verse 19, would not count their trespasses against them. That's the point. That's the point. In other words, God removed the barriers of sin that alienated us from God by placing those sins on Christ and having Christ experience punishment for them. It's what Isaiah 53, 6 says. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What we deserve, the death, the eternal punishment that we deserved, Jesus Christ took for us. No wonder Paul said the love of Christ compels him. Christ's death removed the one barrier that that kept us, the one obstacle that, that keeps us from God, and that is our sin, our sin. And this is why Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father uh, you'll meet people who will say, you know, I believe Jesus was a good man. I believe he had a lot of truth to say. But how can you Christians say he is the only way? There are many ways, they'll say. But what they have failed to understand that the one issue that religion can't deal with and only God and Christ can deal with, and that is our sin issue. It is our sin that keeps us from going to heaven. Sin must be dealt with. False religion or any kind of belief system other than the gospel can't do it. That, that's why it's not a matter that, that we just believe in Jesus and because of that we're right. That's not it at all. Only Jesus Christ is qualified to deal with our sin because he is God in human flesh. And he paid an eternal price, an eternal punishment for our sin. Religion can't do that. Someone uh, just last week loaned me a couple of books on Roman Catholicism. And the uh, sacrament of penance has another name in Roman uh, Catholic uh, theology. It is also called the sacrament of reconciliation. Only it is not about the biblical reconciliation. It can't do it. Only God can deal with our sin, and he has done it through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is the heart of the gospel, folks. This is what we're about. This is it. Because this explains how a perfectly holy God can forgive our sins, restore us to himself and take us to heaven when we die. Without, watch this, without violating his own holiness and justice. That is the incredible message of the gospel. How God can forgive us, reconcile us without violating his own justice. Sin has alienated us from God and God's justice demands payment for sin. For God to simply forgive people, as many people think, God, God will just forgive, just forgive because he loves us. That would absolutely violate his holiness and justice. He, he just cannot do that though his heart is a heart of love, he can't do that. In fact, just, just last night I caught just a few minutes, maybe you've seen the uh, the very popular uh, Bill O'Reilly on the O'Reilly Factor on Fox News, and he had for a few minutes an interview with uh, Jerry Falwell. And I didn't catch all of it, but we were talking about how to go to heaven. And of course, Dr. Falwell uh, presented the gospel, but then Bill O'Reilly, who is not a believer, uh, said this. He said, well, he said, I've talked to some people immediately you know where he's gone. I've talked to some people, and they said that God is all-inclusive. I've talked, he said, in fact, I've talked to Catholic theologians. They say God is all-inclusive, and uh, because he is just, we'll all go to heaven. And I I thought right then and there, uh, Jerry Falwell should have said, and I realize when millions of people are watching, you don't always think about what you should say, but you should have said that's the issue. God is just. Because he's just, we can't go to heaven just like that. God can't do that. He would violate his justice. His justice demands punishment, punishment for sin. Otherwise, God is not God. He cannot and will not just forgive. Now, this is the gospel. He, he just can't do it. But in the death of Jesus Christ, the eternal, sinless God-man, God demonstrated both his love and his justice. His love was demonstrated in, in the great truth that Paul tells us about, it, the love of Christ. Is that he, he died for us. That's, that's the great love of God. He actually died for us. That's his love. His love was demonstrated. God provided himself as the one who would pay for our sins so that we would be forgiven. We could be forgiven. We could be restored. But also his justice was satisfied. It wasn't just his love. The cross isn't just about his love. It's about his justice. His holiness is satisfied in that full and complete Payment was made for our sins so that God does not have to count our sins against us because they were already counted against Christ, though he was not a sinner in any way. And this is why we say that at the cross, mercy and justice kissed. They met. They came together. The mercy and justice of God. Romans 3.26 says this, that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God's justice has been upheld at the cross. The sin has been paid for and therefore God can justify us, which means declare that we are righteous in his sight, legally righteous. Now, this is the essence of the content of the message of reconciliation. It is through Christ's death and Christ's death alone that God has provided a way for man to be brought back and reconciled to him. But when you're speaking to a person about Jesus, you can't just say that without some explanation. You can't say what what Paul said in verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting a trade. They're not going to get that. You have to explain something. Paul is speaking here to a Christian church who did understand this. But when you're evangelizing someone who doesn't know Christ, you have to give some clarification. You have to expand on this. You have to explain. And that's what we want to go over this morning. The heart of what we want to say is we want to, we want to look at verse 19. And as we look at it, you will see that contained in verse 19 are essentially all the components of the gospel that we need to expand on and explain to people so that step by step, you can take them through the gospel so that they can say, oh, I understand. Now, now, we realize that only the Holy Spirit can give enlightenment and only the Holy Spirit can draw someone to Christ. But it is our responsibility to make the gospel as clear and plain and understandable as we possibly can. Our job is not to confuse people. Our job is to clarify it and explain it. And let me, let me show you this. Even Paul was concerned about that. Colossians chapter four. Just a few books down, back to uh, the New Testament. Paul, at the end of Colossians in chapter 4, he is requesting that the church at Colossae pray for him. And what does he want them to pray for? Colossians 4, verse 3, he says, praying at the same time for us as well. He said, "I, I this is my my request of you. When you think about me and my fellow workers, pray that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. Paul said, when you think about it, would you pray that God would open doors for opportunities to share him? Okay, but he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. In other words, Paul is, is asking for prayer, not only for opportunities to proclaim Christ, but that when those opportunities come, that he would present the gospel with clarity with clarity, because even the Apostle Paul knew that he needed God's help to not confuse people. It isn't just that we're dumping information on people. You want to explain things properly. This is the most important message. This is it. I mean, we go to college and universities to understand our fields. We ought to understand the gospel more than anything else and and work at making it clear to people so that they can say, now I see. Now I see. Now they may not accept it. That's up to the Lord to work in their hearts. But now I see it. So what exactly do we tell people so they can follow us and and clearly understand God's plan of salvation? I have found that it's helpful to break it down into four categories of truth. That every time I share the gospel with someone, by the way, this is all contained in verses 19 and 20 that we're going to look at. Every time I share the gospel with somebody, I know that I want to cover these four truths. And if I don't cover these four truths, uh, it's not going to be clear to them. I remember years ago before I started doing this, I remember being a, studi, a, studi, a student at Moody. It's a Moody student. I was a student at Moody Bible Institute and I would witness to people and, um, you know, we would go on campuses and I'd share basically what I knew and someone would say, yeah, I, I, believe that. I thought, no, you don't. You don't believe that. I know you don't believe that. You just tell me that. And I think, now, what did I share? Do they understand? Did I make it clear? I really didn't make it clear. So I've tried to learn from that and, uh, What I'm going to share with you is how to how to present the gospel in a way that people can understand it. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is our ministry to tell others the word of reconciliation. Number one, I would encourage you to write this down. You can always go back and refer to this. In fact, if you really want some some help on this, years ago I was so burdened that there would be uh, gospel literature that would clearly outline the plan of salvation that I wrote a booklet that I think we have in the track rack called God's Plan... Or God's gift to you, God's gift to you. And it's just a just a step by step procedure of how to explain the gospel to someone. But let's let's begin by saying, first of all, the first thing you want people to understand is that they're sinners. They're sinners. We're all sinners. That's the first thing you share. That's foremost. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is foundational. Why is that foundational? Because if people fail to see themselves as lost sinners, then they'll never see their need for salvation. Why would you go to Christ to save you if you don't know that he needs to save you from sin? Jesus isn't just about putting marriages back together, giving you a nice home, giving you peace in your life. That's not the gospel. Jesus is about saving us from our sin. So we need to know we're sinners. Jesus said that those who go to a doctor know that they're sick. You don't go to a physician unless you know you're sick. Those who go to the physician of their souls have to understand that they are sinfully sick. And when Paul states in verse 19, he states that God's not counting their trespasses against them. He states that because in in Christ's death, we understand that we're sinners, God doesn't hold our trespasses against us because of the death of Christ, but this indicates that uh, people have to understand they do have trespasses. They do have sins. After all, that's what the death of Christ is about, dying for our sins. We are sinful. The soul that sinneth, the Bible says, it shall die. So when you explain the gospel to people, emphasize the sinfulness of not only mankind, and I would include yourself in that, lest they think that you're self-righteous, but make sure they understand that they are sinners. It isn't everybody else. It isn't just the Taliban. It's all of us. We're all sinners capable of doing all things. Now, what does it mean to be a sinner? Because that's where people tend to get hung up. They think that if they can just get certain ha- habits under control, they're okay. Now the Bible says that sin is primarily an attitude of the heart. It is an attitude of rebellion against God. It is a spirit of independence. It is it is taking our lives into our own hands and running the show. That's what sin is. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. That's sin. That's the basic definition of sin doing our own thing, being the master of our lives. We may give God lip service. We may even go to church. We may even uh, claim to be religious and perform things outwardly. But in our hearts, we will do whatever we want to do. That's what being a sinner is. Sin, then, is first and foremost an internal attitude of the heart, and it manifests itself. It doesn't just stay in the heart. It reveals itself in that our behavior violates God's standards of righteousness. We are rebels against God. So first we explain what it means to be a sinner. You can't get around it. You you have to. This is uh this is a non negotiable. You have to tell people they're sinners. But you know what, there are many people who would admit that they're sinners, but they don't really care. It's no big deal. And their attitude is, you know what? I know I'm not perfect. You're not perfect either. So big deal. We're all in the same boat together. And it's that attitude that will lead a person to hell because they don't realize how serious it is to be a sinner. So what do we do with that? Well, we move on to the second point, the second truth that composes the gospel. And that is we have to tell them about God's nature. We have to tell them who God is. Sin is a problem in light of who God is. We tell them that God is loving and I have rarely met anybody who has a problem with that. Nobody has ever debated with me about that when I'm sharing the gospel, that God loves them. People embrace that. What they do have a problem with is the other side of God's nature, and that is he's holy and just and must punish sin. The same Bible that says God is loving also says he's holy. So you can't take one without the other. People tend to be ignorant of this wonderful and great truth that God is holy. Yet the entire concept of the death of Christ reveals God's holiness and his demand for sin to be paid for. When, when Paul speaks of the need for reconciliation in verse uh, verse 19, he certainly is implying that God is holy and therefore he is separated from his sinful creatures, that there is a need. If, if we need to be reconciled, it's because man is a sinner and God is holy. We need to get back to, to him. But most people have not got any clue as to God's holiness. The holiness that de- that he declares in Habakkuk, he is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. Can you imagine that? God, the Bible says, is of such purity that he cannot even look upon sin with favor. It- it's repulsive to him. He is offended by sin. The book of Exodus says, I will by no means clear the guilty. Why? Because God is holy. He is... He, think of the most honest, perfect judge in the world and then God is infinitely more just than that. This is that holiness of Isaiah chapter 6 that, that tells us that angels cover themselves so they will not directly gaze into the glory of God. This is the holiness of Isaiah chapter 6 that tells us that, that the holy prophet Isaiah was moved to cry out that he was unworthy when he saw the glory of God. He was unworthy, he was sinful, and he deserved judgment. Where we get, woe is me. You see, if people don't grasp the holiness of God and that he has to punish sin because of his holiness, then they will not grasp the need to be saved. Then it really is no big deal. See, our sin is only a problem, a serious problem. In fact, the most serious problem in the world Because of God's holiness. Because of God. If God is not holy, then it's no big deal. But God is holy and sin must be punished. And people, if they don't know about the holiness of God, they'll wonder what they need to be saved from. What do they need to be saved from? The answer is that they need to be saved from the wrath of Almighty God, who the Bible says is a consuming fire and is so holy that all sin must be punished. Now, why don't people, let me just stop here and and raise this issue. Why don't more people know about God's holiness? One reason is because we're not evangelizing today, telling them about God's holiness. We tell them about all other kinds of things, but not about God's holiness. In fact, very few tracts, you know, little little booklets you hand to people, and this is a good assignment for you. When you read a tract the next time before you give it to somebody, read and see if you can find the tract other than God's gift to you. But if you could find a tract that that even mentions the holiness of God. Many tracts are emphasizing about going to heaven. That's their angle or about being at peace with God or being saved from hell. And all of that is legitimate. But I have rarely found a tract that says God is offended by your sin. And you need salvation because of, of what God says you are lost because of his holiness. He demands justice. Now, that leads us to a third point, that as you're sharing the gospel with people, you first share that they are, they are sinful, like everybody. Secondly, that you tell them about God's nature, emphasizing his holiness. You emphasize that because you won't have to emphasize his love. He's holy. But that leads to the third truth that you tell them about the gospel. And the third is about Jesus Christ. You must tell people about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for them on the cross. Once people know they're sinners and they see the seriousness of their sin in light of God's holiness, you need then to tell them the good news. And the good news is centered in the work and person of Jesus Christ. What you've told them up to this point is actually the bad news. The bad news is they're sinners and that if they die in their sin, they're going to go to hell because hell is paying for your sin forever and ever and ever. It's, it's eternal punishment. But the good news is that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And God, in the person of Jesus Christ, went to the cross to pay for your sac- to pay for your your sins eternally. And, and Paul implies that when he says in verse 19 that God was in Christ. That is to say that God, the Father and Jesus Christ are one in union, one in union. We believe in the triune God, the Father, the Son the Holy Spirit, but they are one in union and Jesus Christ is full deity and and you never want to uh, say anything that would would lead people to think otherwise. Be emphatic about this. He is God. It's a non-negotiable. He is fully God, fully man. But we also need to tell them that being fully God makes Him the only one qualified to go to the cross. And in going to the cross, this is where that phrase in verse 19 comes in, not counting their trespasses against them. This speaks of the substitutionary act of his death. Now watch this. Being the eternal God-man, God in the form of God could never die on the cross, but God in the form of man could. Being the eternal God-man, he died in their place, but more than in their place, he died an eternal death in their place. The, the death of Jesus Christ was not something that was just spread out over six hours. The death of Jesus Christ, because it was an eternal payment, takes care of all of our sins eternally. All of our sins eternally. An eternal God-man eternally took care of your sins. See, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, all those animal sacrifices, they were just, they were just temporal. Just temporary. They, they just took away temporary punishment. But in Jesus Christ, we have a sacrifice that is eternal. That's why it never needs to be repeated and over and over and over again. Once and for all, he has taken our sins. It's why it's what John the Baptist meant when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes it away forever, permanently, all of it. That's what took place. And and he died. He took the eternal punishment of us all. And Paul alluded to this in verse 19 when he says, reconciling the world to himself.
0: To share the gospel, we need to make it clear that we are all sinners and that God will not tolerate sin. Pastor Steve will have more for us on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And Verse by Verse is one of Lakeside's ministries. Check us out at versebyverseradio.org. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. That verse Pastor Steve closed with, the one that said Jesus' death on the cross would reconcile the world to himself, is often used in support of a heresy called universalism, the idea that everyone is saved. If that was true, why was Paul working so hard and sacrificing so much to spread the gospel?